And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Go, man. Tear it off, dude. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. It's been an eventful and exhausting 12 or 13 days, but I think that we could finally say with confidence that the primary phase of free agency is over for the 49ers. On Wednesday morning, Kwan Williams re-signed with the team. That ended a string of about 15 transactions over those past 12 or 13 days, and the 49ers may not be technically done. We might see them still you know scrounge around the bargain bin we might see them add a a veteran slot receiver we might see them add a veteran quarterback I think yeah, this will scare fans but I think Brian Hoyer is still available maybe I shouldn't joke but uh, you know all of this stuff is still possible but we can confidently say since Kwan Williams starting caliber player really good player at Nickelback is back in the fold officially we can confidently say that the two major phrases of free agency are finished and we joined you for a podcast last week after the first phase of free agency now that phase two is finished, I could run through the summary uh, of what's happened since last time, and uh, that's been the 49ers re-signing Dante Johnson. That's been them signing the safety, Tavon Wilson. They've re-signed Jaquaski Tart. They signed Zach Kerr, who's an intriguing, really intriguing defensive tackle. He's one of the older players that they signed. He's 32, but boy, Zach Kerr. Uh, brings that 320, 330-pound frame to the nose tackle position, but he's coming off a career year. He he was, I mean, put on the film from Carolina last year, he was rushing to pass her effectively. I think he's more than just a off-season or camp body. And they re-signed Jordan Willis. That was something we predicted on the show last week. And they finished up on Wednesday morning by re-signing Kwan Williams. So, Matt, that was a flurry. That's only the second half of everything that happened. Everybody go and listen to last week's episode if you missed it to cover the first half. But today we're going to paint the big picture. And the 49ers, uh, they can take a deep breath now because that was uh, some busy stuff that happened during free agency. Before we even get to the news that D Ford might be playing next year. Yeah, uh, when you when you look at the the list now and uh, you start to figure out, okay, where are they lacking? Um, yeah, you still come up with some areas, but they're not uh, big time positions. We're talking about, like you you noted, maybe um, a slot receiver, uh, a backup quarterback. That's probably the biggest one. Um, a return man. So uh, these are not frontline positions, and um, you know uh, you, you joked about Hoyer, but that's where. That's where we've gotten in free agency. I mean, those backup quarterbacks um, went off the board lickety-split, and the 49ers are left with really uh, a bare cupboard here. We're talking about Brian Hoyer, Blaine Gabbert, RG3, uh, Colt McCoy. I mean, that's the uh, that's the ilk that we're talking about. So the, the recent speculation, and, um, you know, I, I think it's – worthy, uh, Dennis, is that instead of uh, signing a free agent quarterback, they trade for one. Uh, and, and a name that's been bandied about 
certainly on Wednesday was Gardner Minshew, who's probably most famous for his mustache than anything else. He's been the de facto starter in, in Jacksonville the last two years. Uh, the Jaguars just signed C.J. Beathard. He might end up being uh, uh, Lawrence's backup in, in Jacksonville this season, which would mean that uh, Gardner Minshew is expendable. And, um, you know, he, he doesn't have a vast amount of experience, 20 starts over his career, but he's got some. And uh, a lot of people think that's where the 49ers might find their backup to Jimmy Garoppolo in 2021. Did I hear Bryant Hoyer and Blaine Gabbert? Weren't there already 49ers at one point in their career? <laughs> I think we've had that experience already. We're not talking about the starting quarterback job, though. And uh, I, I think... Th- We've already had that experience is something that Kyle Shanahan values at cerebral position. So Alex Mack, he's already had that experience, right, at center. So he brings him back to run the center position. Now, quarterback with Brian Hoyer, we had the experience of him as the starter for the 49ers. I think having the experience of him as a backup would would be a different thing. That's the only reason I put it out there. I guarantee you it would make a lot of 49ers fans puke. Sounds like it would make you puke too. <laughs> yes, it would. Uh, but, yes, but, it would. Uh, but that's what we're down to. As Matt said, that, that's what we're down to now if the 49ers are going to sign a, a veteran quarterback. Maybe they won't, but it's either that or they have to do something like trade for a Minshew if they want something better before the draft. Yeah, you know, that's one thing for sure. The 49ers have to figure out the quarterback room. And with CJ gone, and, and I think Nick Mullins will be gone you got to get a better quarterback room. And if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to come come up injured again, which he's done the, what, two of the last three seasons, um, you're going to have to have a strong backup, a backup that can actually go in and win some football games for you, not throw a bunch of interceptions. But I do think Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch can really pat themselves, the whole scouting uh, during this offseason, they can pat themselves on the back. And it's interesting how one of the big question marks was the secondary. And, you know, it looks like the same secondary, and it just shows that, you know, these guys have confidence in what they have in the building. You know, re-signing Tart and, you know, Jimmy Ward last season, Kwan Mosley. I mean, this is the same secondary that's been in the building for the last couple of years, and they get them all re-signed. And when healthy, you know, I think, you know, this is a strong secondary. I think that they can do well, but again, they have to stay healthy. You know, Jaquaski is a guy that, you know, people have a lot of question marks about because he's not flashy. He doesn't have the big interceptions, but he's strong against the run. You know, he's a guy who can deflect some pass. He's just, he just doesn't have many interceptions, but I think he's a strong player at strong safety. And, you know, re-signing Kwan Williams. I mean, he I think he's one of the best nickelbacks um, in the National Football League. And we saw how 49ers struggled when K1 was was uh, not on the football field. But it's all going to be kind of predicated on, you know, again, if the 49ers can get over this injury hump and if they can not have a bunch of bodies on the sidelines, especially in this secondary. And then we talk about D Ford. I don't think D Ford's going to going to play next season or he may you know he has a year off maybe his body's back to where it used to be or better than it was the last couple seasons he comes out and he is that turbo guy he's that that guy can come around the edge and then again Nick Bolsa we have to see what he's going to do on the other side but I think the secondary I think the 49ers did a fantastic job Signing these guys, and these are all strong guys, I think the secondary is ready to roll. Well, the reason the 49ers were able to comfortably fit all these signings in is partially uh, because of D. Ford. That was one of the interesting developments of this week. We got the details on D. Ford's restructured contract for the 49ers, and I had done some calculations about a month or two ago 
speculating that the 49ers you know might restructure D, con- D Ford's contract uh in in a certain way and the only the maximal savings through my calculations were about six or seven million because I had just assumed that D Ford would want all of his eleven point six million dollar injury guarantee this year. You know that that was the assumption. That, I mean, and normally the, a player when they have that amount of money contractually obligated to them will demand it this year. But D Ford did something unusual, except especially since we've been expe- expecting him to uh, not play because the, the back injury has been so mysterious. He actually sat down with the 49ers and allowed them to divide up his injury guarantee, the $11.6 million between 2021 and 2022. $4.6 million of it won't come until after this next season. And what that did is it allowed the 49ers to open up over $11 million of salary cap space with his restructured contract. On top of that, we have heard that D Ford is confident about his ability to return, which, you know, we can't put too much into right now, but $11.2 million of savings has allowed the 49ers to do all the moves that we've, you know, just summarized and talked about. Plus the fact that D Ford has, is confident enough to uh, put himself on a contract right now that has a lot of incentives and stretches out his guaranteed payment into 2022. If you look at the best case scenario possible for the 49ers, Matt, it's awfully tantalizing. And that is D Ford returning in spot duty on top of the players that they've already acquired here in free agency. All of a sudden, that defense and the roster is looking mighty, mighty appetizing for the 49ers. And it's one of those situations where I think you have to treat it like found money, right? Because we weren't expecting this a week ago, and now it's a possibility even if we aren't expecting it yet. Yeah, absolutely. And the 49ers are building enough depth. We expect them to augment that depth even more in next month's draft that they could go into a situation where, okay, Nick Bosa and D Ford aren't playing, certainly aren't playing 75%, maybe not even 50% of the snaps early in the season. But as the year goes on, they can get worked in more and more so that by the end, they are playing their full allotment. That seems like a reasonable scenario for me. And I think you're absolutely right, you know, both kind of reading what we were told about D Ford and, and reading into the contract. D Ford has been attracting a lot of animus from from fans who just kind of assume that he was going to come in with a fake neck brace and he's taken money from the team. Well, no, he's he worked with the team. He essentially, you know, took a took a pay cut and he's been at the facility working out, running, and he's confident that he can make up that money in the long run. They incentivize some things, you know, pro bowl, playtime percentage, sacks, if he, if he hits those, he can make even more money. But, um, you know, this is a guy that isn't shirking, isn't uh, malingering. He's out there trying to, to get back. And I think that's the big takeaway. It always kind of baffles me how, how much uh, fans uh, hate on guys who are injured and coming back from injuries. Tevin Coleman, uh, sadly, is, uh, is at the top of that list. He just got signed by the Jets on Wednesday. But these guys that, that played through injury, I mean, Tevin Coleman played injured in the Super Bowl in 2019. Um, he's got a sickle cell trait, could have easily opted out of the 2020 season, and yet played uh, played the whole season or tried to play the whole season. So um, again, it just uh, is uh, disappointing and surprising, Dennis, when 
you know, you hear all this uh, this guff from fans about some of these guys who are doing their best to, to get back onto the field. Yeah, and it reminds me of Hall of Famer Ricky Jackson when he came to the 49ers from the Saints. And I think he had had some injuries. He was a little bit older. And he took a huge pay cut, but he had it all backloaded. He had little incentives like uh, if he went to the Pro Bowl, if he led the team in fumbles, if he led the team – uh, in total percentage as far as the defensive line and if the team went to the Super Bowl and if the team won the Super Bowl and you know Ricky Jackson came in I think he made the um, minimum NFL salary but at the end of the day after we went in the Super Bowl and he led the team in sacks uh, and then he led the team in fumble recoveries he made all that money up I see players come throughout the league I see players go but I mean football players we're all money motivated uh, and we're always looking for that big payday and, you know, Kerry Hyder is a great example. You know, he had a breakout season. You know, even though he probably loved being in California, playing with the 49ers, the culture of the 49ers, but the Seattle Seahawks offered him that money. And that money is, you know, it's hard to turn it down. You know, Kerry Hyder is going to be missed, but he's played on his performance. Money motivates professional football players. So I'm not mad at him. We're going to miss him. We got to see him twice a season. But, um, you know, that's what happens in football. It, it, you'd be amazed if, if, if a player can get motivated in that way. Money usually motivates it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hyder's going to be interesting because he has two seasons of eight-plus sacks. Obviously, one of them was with the 49ers last year, 8.5. He had an eight-sack season earlier in his career before his Achilles tear with Detroit. Both times that Hyder has had those career seasons, Chris Kosarek has been his defensive line coach. In every other season of Hyder's career without Chris Kosarek as his defensive line coach, He's uh, logged no more than two sacks. So we'll see if he could take that performance over from the 49ers to Seattle. You know, I I think the 49ers made a concerted effort to get younger along the defensive line because you look at, especially at the edge rusher positions, I'm not counting Zach Kerr in this, but at edge, you, you could tell they're getting younger. And that's probably because they want to, you know, generally avoid. Uh, a repeat of the D Ford situation. D Ford turned 30 last week. Obviously, D Ford has uh, dealt with injuries, especially as of late in his career. And I think the 49ers want to make sure that they stay firing and they stay fresh uh, at those edge spots. So, for example, Jordan Willis, who they re signed on the same day that Kerry Hyder signed with Seattle, he has the same birthday as Kerry Hyder, May 2nd, but Jordan Willis is a full four years younger. He's only going to be 26. Sanson Ebucom, same thing. He's only going to be 26 this year. So the 49ers put their money into uh, younger guys 
along the defensive line. They obviously had to restructure D Ford's deal, even though he's 30, because it'd be more expensive to cut him than to keep him. But we'll st- we're still going to see, uh, in all likelihood, another draft pick or two to compete at the defensive line and maybe even win one of those edge rushing spots, maybe even one of those spots that uh, Kerry Hyder would have had had they chosen to keep him. But with Hyder, they decided, hey, he's going to be 30. We'll let him go for $5 million a year or whatever it was to Seattle. We're going to stick with the 26-year-olds and maybe the 22, 23-year-olds in the draft, and we'll reload that way. Um, and, and, and it's a bet that, in essence, Hyder only had that 8.5 sack season under Kosurek once, that it's not going to happen again when he turns 30, 31. Because I, I'm sure that if the 49ers knew that Kerry Hyder would have two or three more 8.5 sack seasons, Matt, they'd happily pay that kind of money for him. But, but to me, it seems that they're going for the youth, they're going for the young bucks, and they're playing the, the, the Bill Walsh card of it's better to get rid of a guy a year too early than a year too late. Yeah, I keep going back and forth on this in my mind, and it's uh, what did the 49ers do with their, their first two picks? Um, and it's to me, it's either they're going to take a defensive end in the first round and a cornerback in the second, or vice versa, a cornerback first and a, a defensive end second. Um, and uh, obviously, it's going to depend on how the, the board lines up, but um, you can make a really good argument for both. Uh, and I'd love to hear what you guys uh, think about that. But, um, you know, for, for the cornerback argument, I'll just play devil's advocate because I, I do think that it ultimately will be D-end, then cornerback. But um, as as Dennis noted, they, they did a flurry of re-signings. They've got Emmanuel Mosley back. They've got Jason Brett back. They've got Kwan Williams back, which is fantastic. Um, the issue there to me is twofold. One is that most of those guys are only signed for, for one year. So there's really no kind of long-term, um, taking care of that position yet. And the other is that they're all kind of smallish guys. I mean, uh, all guys who are under six feet, uh, we saw DeAndre Hopkins, for example, um, have his way with Emmanuel Mosley last year. This is a division that's got DeAndre Hopkins, it's got DK Metcalf, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like they need a bigger body cornerback in there. Um, you know, J.C. Horn, uh, who's Joe Horn's son, Dennis, um, uh, is is one of those guys that could get drafted in the first round. Played at South Carolina, a school that the 49ers like to draft from obviously, uh, given the last two drafts. So he, I think he's a possibility at number 12 uh, if the 49ers do decide to go cornerback. And like I said, I keep going back and forth. What, what What's your kind of thought on what their approach should be in next month's draft? I would stay with secondary. I think you make a good point with the, uh, the one-year contracts. It's kind of a – it's a one-year deal. It's kind of prove it to the 49ers and also audition for that big payday. Um, I think you get a young kid uh, in the draft. You get someone that you can kind of groom. And that way you don't have to kind of throw throw his feet to the fire, become a starter right out of college. Let him learn, you know, from some of these uh, older guys in that secondary. And I like this kid from Virginia Tech, Caleb Farley. I like him. He's got the size. He's a physical guy. And you're right. In, in, in this division, you got to be a physical cornerback I think Kwan's this guy but a lot of these cornerbacks or these the secondary they just don't have any bite to them you know there's there's a lot of bark and I mean Charles Haley used to always say you know he always wanted dogs on the field that would bite you not just bark at you and I think 
you know, the, a lot of this secondary, you just need, you know, some of that, some of that aggressive play. And I think you go get a young kid, you just groom him a little bit. And when, when these guys start kind of moving on, he just kind of plugs in. And that's that's how you build a football team. And I think that's how you do it on the defensive line. I think that's how you do it on the offensive line. I like Caleb Farley, 6'2", 207, obvious, you know, cover three scheme fit. I know the 49ers have been diversifying the coverages, but, you know, I absolutely agree with you, Dennis. I think that the 49ers still do need to stock up that secondary. And I think if you look at the contractual situation of the guys they did resign, Jaquaski Tart, Kwan Williams, both one-year deals, uh, it means that, you know, we're not in a mutually exclusive situation. You know, it, a lot of people said, hey, well, it's either Kwan Williams or they're going to draft somebody for Nickelback. What about both at Nickelback, right? What about Kwan Williams for one year, which is exactly what they did? By the way, he's exactly Hyder's age. He's going to be 30 this off, uh, this off season. So uh, that means that he might be on the tail end of his career as far as availability is concerned. You guys really start to break down at that age. We saw Kwan Williams play a career low eight games last season. Coincidence? I'm not sure, but we'll see moving forward. The 49ers think that he's an excellent player, though. So they figured that that one-year deal, if they could get him back on that one-year deal, was worth it. Because of that, they now still have the ability to use one of their nine draft picks on a nickelback so i know the guy i talk about every week is elijah molden out of washington probably make dennis happy too a fellow husky there but caleb farley you could do the same thing with with an outside cornerback right jason verrett one year deal same instant you know same strategy here with the 49ers they're testing it out in the secondary they're getting a quality player but they weren't committing too much to him because of the obvious past injury issues and the fact that verrett is about to be on the wrong side of 30 years old so why not sign verrett which they already did for that one year and then draft a guy like caleb farley there's a good chance he's going to be able to play at some point in 2021 uh, as a starter because of uh, the reality of the NFL and the injury situation. And there's a really good chance that a player like Farley or a comparable defensive back, I know, Matt, you, you like some different names, but a comparable defensive back can grow into the 49ers system moving forward. So I think they're trying to double dip. I, I think they're trying to get the best of the short-term answer and the long-term answer this offseason. Free agency has given the 49ers – on defense with these defensive backs, the short-term answer, their nine-pick draft can give them long-term answers. Yeah, one of the issues with Farley, though, is that he just had back surgery. He had a what's called a, a micro-dissectomy. Oh, is, is he the one with the back surgery? Yeah, he's oh, very okay, similar, yeah. and it's a very similar procedure to what D. Ford had in, in 2017, so I think the 49ers yeah, are going to try to stay <laughs> as far away from back injuries as possible. Uh, so he's probably off the board for them and probably for every team at least early and I'd say the first half of the draft. That's why I, 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 I cited J.C. Horn, uh, SEC player, physical guy, 6'1", 205. He seems to fit the, the mold uh, pretty well. You know, the ideal situation for them is if they're sitting there at 12 and somebody like uh, Rashawn Slater, who's a, a tackle, is still on the board. And uh, Mac Jones, the the quarterback from Alabama, is still on the board. And some other team, maybe it's uh, Washington, maybe it's somebody else, comes up and uh, wants to trade. And so the 49ers then trade back in the first round, say, into the early 20s. And then they've got an additional second rounder, uh, in which case they can just kind of pick, you know, who's the best cornerback or D-end right there at, at, say, pick 21 
And then they've got more bites at the apple in the second round to get the other position that they don't take. And, and you're right. There are a lot of guys. I mean, you mentioned Molden. Uh, Asante Samuel is another sort of maybe he's a nickel, maybe he's an outside guy, but he's really good. He's a guy that you would want on your team. Um, I feel like the second round is is sort of the uh, the sweet spot for cornerback. So that may be the best way to go. Maybe you get Quiddy Pay, the uh, defensive end from Michigan, big strong guy. He can play inside, he can play outside. You just get a lot of use from him, especially if early in the season, and I have a feeling this is going to be the case, early in the season we're all wondering, okay, is this the game that Nick Bosa is going to be back and start. Is this the game he's going to play 75% uh, of the snaps? I I think it's going to be sort of a slow wait-and-see process with him. They're definitely not going to to rush it with with Nick Bosa and that they're going to kind of ease him back into the fold as as slowly and as methodically and as safely as they can get. That's going to frustrate a lot of fans, but if you have other guys, other defensive ends, David mentioned them, younger guys in the mix. You get them going early on, and then maybe you work in your two uh, injury rehab guys, Bosa and Ford, as the season progresses. And thanks a lot, Matt, for shooting down my draft pick. Well, back uh, back surgeries, uh, that's a red flag. <laughs> it's a touchy subject in the 49 exactly. circles now, too. I, I, yeah, I had heard of that happening to a, a player, but I haven't really delved into my full draft research yet, so I didn't realize it was Farley. If Trent... Bulky was still the general manager. He, was, he would be the first-round draft pick for sure. Well, if, he had, if, if Farley also had an ACL, and actually I think he does, Dennis. So, <laughs> okay, um, so maybe that's not the best draft pick. <laughs> there we go. Well, a type of player like him, right? A, There's a plenty of, of these DBs. Like him, yeah, yeah, yeah. you want something like that. and we in, The names get interchangeable. The draft in so many ways is a crapshoot, so – we're we're looking at the the prototype of what the 49ers want. I don't know what you you guys think, but you think the 49ers will sit at number 12 or will they trade up and maybe get Patrick Sertan, you know, move up a couple now or even move up one maybe and get this kid Quiddy Pay? It's a great Yeah, yeah the edge rusher out of Michigan, yeah, played That's for Harbaugh. That's a great name. That's a great name. So I mean, are we thinking that the 49ers are going to keep that number 12 pick and stick to it? It's interesting because you're, you're right. Sertan is going to be taken right around there, and he could go at like 10 or 11. And, um, you know, the, the 49ers might kick themselves uh, for, for not having jumped up. So uh, it's a possibility. You know, when you've got nine picks, it, it gives you the wherewithal to move up. I don't think that they do that uh, because, like, like uh, David said, it's a bit of a crapshoot anyway. So... Um, maybe you just, uh, I think trading in the opposite direction is probably more likely than trading up. And let's remember the overarching history of the 49ers under Shanahan and Lynch. They haven't picked defensive backs high at all. So if they start going for one of these DBs, trading up first round, anything, Akella Witherspoon in the third round, if I remember correctly, is the highest of the 49ers have taken a defensive back. It's been a defensive line over secondary type of mentality for the 49ers. So this would be a break from tendency in the past. I'm not saying that it won't happen because if it were to happen, it would be in a year where they just re-signed a bunch of guys to one-year deals in the secondary. So uh, eventually you'd think they have to get a fixture back there unless they're so extreme with their defensive line pass rush over coverage philosophy that they'll just continue doing that indefinitely they'll continue re-signing or signing guys cheaper 
defensive backs to one-year deals while they invest all of their draft capital into the defensive line. And in, th- in that case, moving up or selecting Quiddy Pay or a, a defensive lineman in the first round would be the play. And I know, Matt, it, it, we've had you know debates in our articles, either Aziz Ojolari or Quiddy Pay. I think as time has progressed, Quiddy Pay is a player that would better fit what the 49ers exactly need since – They've already added Sansom Ebucom, who's a 250-pound edge rusher, and since D. Ford might come back, he's another 250-pound edge rusher. Ojolari is built, you know, cut from the same cloth as the lighter edge rushers. I think a guy like Quiddy Pay, 270 pounds, solid. You know, you know for sure he's going to be a three-down guy. I think that's the type of defensive lineman that they that they would pursue here in the first round if they go in that direction. And don't forget the 49ers did sign Jordan Willis too. Jordan Willis, yeah, yeah, and he's, he's a another kind pounder. of a fast yeah. off the off the ball defensive end too. So they've got they've got three of those guys if D Ford comes back. So um, you're right, they 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 do have the uh, sort of uh, wide nine edge rusher who can burst off the ball. Um, like I was saying, uh, you know, one telltale for them is always the the 10-yard split in the 40. Um, Chris Kosarek seems to look at that very carefully. In fact, I, I heard that's that's exactly what he does. There are a couple of th- measures that he looks at, uh, and that's one of them. And um, Pay is going to have his pro day coming up, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see what he runs and, and what his 10-yard uh, uh, split is because um, I, I think he's sort of an athletic freak. I mean, he's a, he's a big weight room guy. A lot of people think that eventually over his career he's going to be better as a uh, defensive tackle, sort of a, a Justin Tuck type of guy, sort of longish, looks like a defensive end, but is so strong and, uh, and quick that he excels on the interior as well. To me, that just seems like a, a good guy to have on your team. Uh, in case, you know, you could have a string of injuries at defensive tackle. You move him inside there. Just a guy, sort of like Kerry Hyder last year, um, who's going to give you 100%, who's strong, who can hold up at the point. Uh, you get a lot of bang for your buck. There's there's not any real standout defensive ends in this draft. Uh, it might might be that a well-rounded guy like him ends up being the smart pick for a team, like David said, really values having a a deep and uh, young defensive line. Can you guys explain to the, and myself, explain to the listeners, without the draft, will there be a combine this season? You no, know, it's, it's only pro days, yeah. So that there is no, days. yeah, there is no combine. And, and it's tough when you look at pro day numbers versus combine numbers. The pro day numbers are always better because either the school's don't have electronic timing systems for the 40, which means hand-timed uh, makes it a little bit quicker because the the stopwatch guy is anticipating when the guy crosses the line, so that takes off a couple tenths of a second. Or the schools are, you know, kind of wink-winking it and, and nudging up a guy's numbers a little bit. So it's really hard to put a lot of stock into some of these pro-day measurements, in my opinion. Uh, today, somebody put out, uh, a comparison of two cornerbacks, two of the top cornerbacks. I forgot who exactly uh, he listed, but he compared them to, to Jalen Ramsey on Twitter. But the issue was, and, and his point was that the numbers were exactly the same as Jalen Ramsey's. So maybe it's going to be a comparable player. But Ramsey's numbers were from the combine when he came out a few years ago. And the other two cornerbacks, obviously, from this season were from uh, the uh, – 
pro days from this year. So all that it told me was that Ramsey was actually a, a better athlete than those guys because if those two uh, corners had had uh, had a combine to do this year, in all likelihood, their 40 would be a tenth or two slower and maybe even the broad jump and other numbers that were listed there would be a little bit slower. So if you're looking at numbers that are even across the board and some of them are coming from the pro day and some of them are coming from the combine, which we don't have this year, um, the, the combine numbers are always, I think, a, a better gauge of, of what the, the, the player can do because he's also under a ton of stress at the combine too. So if you could run a 4-3 at the combine after – being woken up every morning at 4 a.m. and going through 100 medical examinations and uh, 50 interviews with different coaches and different teams, and you can still run that 4-3 electronically timed at the combine, it's legit. But the pro day is set up so the player has everything going in their favor. There is no intensive grilling, none of that. The player can sleep and he can go out there and maybe they hit the stopwatch and end the run a little bit early to, to, to knock off a little bit of time. So it, it's going to be tough to evaluate players this year. And, and Matt, I think that's going to make the draft even more of a crapshoot than before. And uh, the 49ers have more picks, though, this year. They stockpiled picks because they know those picks have a lot of value. Get the guy on the cheap rookie deal. They're just going to have to hope that their luck is good more often than it's bad this year because of the crap shoot that the draft will be there there's a school of thought out there that thinks that this will be a better draft for teams because they're not getting swayed by the combine stuff like everybody falls in love with a couple of uh you know underwear olympics uh stars uh in, in late february and early march um you're right that's not going to happen this year and so teams will have to rely on a the film and b their scouting staffs um, because of that. And, uh, you know, some people think that the results will, will be better, uh, that you're, you're gauging it on actual things instead of these uh, made-for-TV events that the, the scouting combines become. The issue, though, is that um, film uh, is, is, is lacking this year, too, uh, because so many players either opted out or they have very shortened seasons. Uh, Davis Mills is a great example, the Stanford quarterback. He's only started 11 games and, uh, you know, there's not a lot to go on. You're not going to take a guy in the first round, uh, no matter what his arm strength is or his accuracy, uh, if he's only started 11 games. And that's indicative of a lot of guys. Uh, They just don't have a lot of game film out there. But um, suffice to say that uh, these teams, the 49ers, uh, will be lying heavily on their scouting staffs. We haven't seen Really, uh, any of the 49ers coaches go to any of these pro days. It's all been scouts uh, and, and mostly the area scouts. So those are the guys hitting the, hitting the stopwatch. So they are relying on uh, those reports for this, this draft class, an important draft class for the 49ers. Uh, and it's going to be very interesting uh, two, three, four years from now to kind of go back and, uh, and look and dissect how this draft turned out. Because uh, it's uh, it's a lot different than any other year, and uh, it's going to be fun to kind of analyze it down the line. Just think about you know being an NFL scout, you know, without as you put it, the underwear Olympics. I think that's pretty funny, Matt. Uh, but, I wish I, I mean, could take credit for that. That's that's not that's, that's not a Barrow's original. <laughs> uh, but you know, without that combine and you know just relying on that pro days, and Dave, you talked about some of the things that kind of happened at pro days. But, you know, when I was coming out, it was all about, you know, that that combine and you got yourself ready. You worked out. You had to do the bench press 
with all the teams watching you, head coaches and, and um, you know, uh, general managers, you have to run a 40. You know, it's hard to run a 40 for time by yourself. I mean, if you're running a 40 with someone else, you can kind of pace yourself or you can use that as a gauge. But running a 40 by yourself with everyone watching you is tough. So whatever time is there is the real deal. So the stress is going to be on these, you know, these these scouts. I mean, they got they really got to watch the film uh, and they really have to come up with some decent picks. And, you know, 49ers have a lot of picks. And I think this is, you know, it's not a rebuild year. I think you have a lot of guys with the secondary, you've shown you a lot of guys in the building you like, but you got to start looking to the future. If you want to compete uh, for a championship consistently, you have to have a consistent, uh, good group of guys in all your different position rooms. So this is going to be important. And I think I like the idea of going back and, you know, after this is all over and just seeing how these guys have developed and see, you know, some guys are going to get lucky and get some, some teams are going to get lucky and get some really good players. Some guys are going to get some awful players. But I think there's going to be some players right there in the middle that we see that come out of this draft that become really good NFL football players. Well, I think that the 49ers, when we talk about having to get lucky in the draft because it's a crapshoot, I think that they've been approaching this free agency trying to you know, set the table for the draft so that they can make their luck. And by that, I mean, they've tried to fill as many holes as possible here through free agency, especially through some of these one-year signings. They've been awfully specific with those to the point where they're going to be able to sit down at the draft next month. And quite possibly, it looks like they'll just be able to pick best player available to them. Because if they're not shooting to fill specific positions, they don't have to do that anymore because they already took care of that in free agency. Then they can just, you know, really relax, go to their research, trust their research and say, hey, we really love this safety. We really love this corner. We love, really love this receiver. We really love this offensive lineman. We really love this defensive lineman. Whatever it is, they can go and they can confidently pick that guy in the first, second, third round, whoever's available at the time. And uh, that really maximizes their chances of, of hitting. Because if you're zooming in, if you're using that sniper approach where you just really want to get one guy, say Aziz Ojulari, or a couple of years ago, um, th there was an edge rusher out of uh, Boston College named Harold Landry. And I made this mistake, um, and I think that the 49ers didn't. But uh, Harold Landry's been an okay player, but he hasn't been great. I don't think he would have been worthy of a first-round pick. But the 49ers... At, at the time, had a huge need at edge rusher. And the reason I thought they might pick Harold Landry is because he's, he was really the only edge rusher in a really weak edge rushing class that uh, fit their scheme. But credit to the 49ers, they didn't do that. They realized they were still, you know, they had a ton of holes to fill. And they, they decided to, to go with, uh, I think, Mike McGlinchey in that draft. They needed offensive line help. You could debate that pick all you want. But, but they weren't zeroed in on one guy. And I think now that the roster's more evolved, they're back in a situation where they don't have to be zeroed in on one guy. In 2019, they had to be zeroed in on Kinlaw. They had to be zeroed in on Ayuk because they were trying to fill two specific holes. Those two players might work out. I think Ayuk already has. Kinlaw might be on his 
harm's way. But there was a lot of pressure in nailing those two picks, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on Kinlaw moving forward because the 49ers were so zeroed in on him. I think this year, Matt, they don't have to be zeroed in on a singular position. I think they can do what they did in 2018, and they could really pick a player they really like for their for their scheme that fits really well that's the best player available when they come up. Yeah, and that would, that would fit into the trade-back scenario, too, because then they'd have more picks in those first two days. But I, I disagree with you. I mean, I, I feel like we always hear from the GM right before the draft, oh, we're going to take the, the best player available. BPA, that's the uh, that's the code that they use. But usually they're they're specifically looking to fill a need. They they trade DeForest Buckner. All of a sudden they've got a hole in the line. Uh, you know we were predicting Javon Kinlaw to them uh, way before the draft, and and they did need a, a an offensive tackle moving forward. So that's why they went with with Mike McGlinchey. Um, you know I do think there is some wiggle room between cornerback and defensive end, but boy I I would be surprised. If it's not one of those two positions, uh, maybe if one of those uh, those wide receivers uh, slips through, or maybe if uh, Kyle Pitts, the, the tight end from Florida, somehow makes it to twelve, uh, Kyle Shanahan just wouldn't be able to resist taking those guys. Uh, but um, I I don't think uh, outside of that scenario, uh, it's anything other than those two positions, just because of what we've talked about. The A, they, they do love defensive linemen. That, that's their, what their whole defensive philosophy is built on. And B, they just don't have any big cornerbacks and certainly any cornerbacks signed uh, for the future. Like, like David said, they, they need that fixture uh, in the secondary somehow. Um, and and safety is kind of getting the same way as well. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. We'll have plenty more time to discuss uh, the draft uh, over the next month. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be kind of rounding out the roster type of maneuvers for them in April. I've never been in a, in a war room, but it, it must be interesting when as time gets closer to a particular team's pick, it, it must be interesting in those rooms, the conversations. And, and you know, talk about the best player on the board or or you kind of zeroed in on one player or if you already got a player, you know, in your mind, or you've already talked to a player, talked to a player's agent, and you know what's going to happen. I like rounding out your football team. And when you look at this football team, I think you've you've kind of addressed your secondary with with the signings, uh, and then you kind of you kind of have a defensive line, but you're not very sure about it. You have a receiving crew. You have a quarterback that that you kind of believe in. You know, when you look at a draft, you got to think who's going to be that one X factor. You go out and you find a guy, a receiver last season. I think you you this season. I think you might be surprised. The 49ers might bring in a you know a, maybe a flanker receiver. You know, someone in the, out in the draft that we haven't even talked about. And I think that's what happens in these rooms. If you you look about rounding out your team, you say, listen, what do we need on offense that's going to take us to the next level in this in this offense. And when you look at this offense, it's got to be a flanker receiver. I don't know what flanker receivers out there are, you know, those, these quick guys who can kind of get separation and, you know, make a catch and get some some yards after the catch. But, you know, maybe surprise. It might even be an offensive guy and a receiver. Yeah, and, and I guess I should clarify what, what I was saying a little earlier. I don't think it's ever uh, too far on either extreme, except in specific years. I think that 2019 
was a very specific case for the 49ers where they had almost everybody coming back under contract. And a lot of the guys that were coming back only had one year left on their deals to the point where there was just a real sense, especially coming off the Super Bowl loss, that they just wanted to do whatever they could to keep the band together or replicate as much of 2019 as possible in 2020, which led to them zeroing so intensely on Javon Kinlaw to replace DeForest Buckner and Brandon Ayuk to replace Emmanuel Sanders. I, I thought that was a very exceptional offseason and that the 49ers had that powerful roster with only a couple hills, uh, holes to fill and they were really rushing uh, to, to, to try to run it back and win. That obviously didn't work. So uh, the, what I was saying earlier is that I think that they're going to be a little bit more free this year in their availability, uh, their ability to, to look at different positions with each pick instead of just having to look at defensive tackle and wide receiver in the first round. And that's what they did last year because of the fact that the contractual situations are a bit different and uh, they've taken care of so many specific holes already in free agency. So, so of course, they're going to be gunning for players that, that they think are going to get them better at the positions they need to, to, to be better at. But I just think that there's going to be a little less pressure. It's going to be not as straight-jacketed as it was in 2019. And because they're, it's debatable where this team can get better, you know, what, what should be prioritized, I think that does leave a couple options on the board, Matt, in, in the first round. But in all likelihood, we do have to go off of tendency. And that tendency tells us that that defensive line is where this uh, front office likes to go. And uh, Dennis is chuckling because I know he likes that. Uh, you wish you were playing Dennis back when John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are running teams because uh, that would have pumped up your value in the draft a lot. But, you know, I think it's it's kind of goes, you know, it goes back in history. I mean, I remember when I came out, 90, they took me in the second. And the next year, I think it was Dana in the first. Then it was, no, it was Ted Washington in the first. The next year it was Dana in the first, and it was Brian Young in the first. So, you know, maybe it's just way the 49ers kind of do it. And I like when you say, you know, pass rush over coverage. I think that's just, you know, the makeup of this team. They understand the value and a, a good, strong defensive lineman that can pressure the quarterback. Guys, uh, at the very beginning, David, you mentioned slot receiver, and I wanted to ask both of you guys whether – you thought that this guy was a possibility. Danny Amendola is still out there, and I realize he's no spring chicken, but uh, he's a experienced slot receiver. He's got a background with Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, David, do you think that the 49ers still have enough room, uh, wherewithal, to, to add somebody like that at, at this juncture? Let's rewind here to 2016. Jimmy Garoppolo's first NFL start at Arizona he actually led a game-winning drive. That was a good Arizona team that Jimmy Garoppolo for the Patriots led a game-winning drive against. The Patriots were up against it. Their back was up against the wall. It was third down and 16 early in that drive. The pocket collapsed on Jimmy Garoppolo. Nobody was open. He rolls to his left, so away from you know the throwing side. He had to reset his feet, pivot around, and guess who he finds for the huge first down? to move the chains, and then ultimately set up the game-winning field goal. Lynn Danny Swan. Amendola. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Amendola was Jimmy Garoppolo's first uh, trusted third-down outlet in the NFL, literally. That was the first third-down that Jimmy Garoppolo faced. He found Danny Amendola downfield. You know, Danny's numbers haven't fallen off all that much. He's still no. good for 45 to 55 catches a year, even entering age 36. And yes, the 49ers have enough 
room to fit him in. Um, he's not going to go for much. I mean, say that he goes for $5 million, which he won't. He, he made less last year. Um, but even if he made $5 million, the 49ers would have enough room. I don't think that they would want to pay that much because they'll also leave it open for the rookie, who I think they'll inevitably draft. They'll also leave things a possibility open for Jalen Hurd, who who might be back this year. But, uh, I, boy, with that kind of chemistry with Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, it, it, this goes back to Garoppolo's first career start. We talk about the 49ers building a New England-like passing system, you know, tailor itself to Garoppolo's skill set. I think it makes too much sense. I mean, he could teach the guys that they draft, right? I mean, I think that it's a slam dunk signing. I think the 49ers should go out and get Danny Amendola at age 36 for a reasonable cost. He certainly would round out that wide receiver group. I mean, it's such a young group. He'd be a nice kind of compliment. And you've got Wes Welker as the, yes. as the uh, receivers <laughs> coach. So you're getting the gang back together from New England. You know, if, if Wes can't find a receiver in that flanker position, nobody can. That's what his thing was, and he was one of the best at it. So, never know. But, you know, like you said, David, they, they may just go back to what they know and get a defensive line, lineman. But I'm going to keep my hopes up for a good flanker receiver. I think Trent Sherfield might surprise some people with a few gadget plays this season. He's one of the uh, free agents that the 49ers picked up. He's more of a special teams ace, but he could really run. He's not very big, uh, but you know they he, he did a great job as a gunner in Arizona, good at downing punts, all this and all that. And you know the 49ers just needed better special teams play than they got in 2020 period. So I think a guy like Sherfield's going to make the 53, and we'll see if he, um, you know, could add some some downfield threat to uh, the offense. He he caught a few deep balls in Arizona. And I really think the 49ers will be able to open it up a little bit more with a better pass-blocking offensive line. And guess what? Alex Mack is going to make the offensive line better at pass-blocking because Alex Mack sees where blitzes are coming from. He's the center. He's going to be able to tell and communicate with other offensive linemen so the 49ers aren't going to look all discombobulated. And so the quarterback will actually have more than you know 1.5 seconds to throw on some of these pass-only third-down situations. So I think they could easily... Uh, be able to, to to hit a few home runs with a receiver who the defense isn't paying as close of attention to. So I, I would look out for a guy who's already on the roster in Trent Sherfield, and I would definitely look out for um, uh, you know more receiver acquisitions. Maybe Danny Amendola, and then probably something in the draft. But the, you know, Matt, to to wrap up, uh, I'm sure some people are going to listen to this and they're going to be like. God, you guys haven't talked about the quarterback situation. You haven't talked about Garoppolo. You haven't talked about trading up to grab one of the elite quarterbacks in the draft because it seems that there's still that whole subset of social media and of the fan base, which, by the way, isn't that big. Um, uh, uh, this is funny. People will enjoy this. If you did our roster building exercise, we looked at the 53-man rosters that, that 49ers fans built and sent in to us, and we tabulated you know, how many people actually kept Jimmy Garoppolo. 80% of respondents kept Jimmy Garoppolo on the team, which you, wouldn't have, you would never guess, right, Matt? When, when you're looking at Twitter or something like that, it seems that 90% of people want him gone. But there's still that 20% that uh, would probably want us to address the quarterback situation in the draft and Jimmy Garoppolo's future. Matt, do you think the 49ers will pick a quarterback, and where will that be if they do? I don't think that they're going to trade up for a quarterback. I mean, everybody's convinced that the first four guys are going to go in the first, I don't know, six or seven picks, and I just don't see the 49ers going up and getting one of those guys. I mean, you would think that if Kyle Shanahan is contemplating making Trey Lance the future face of the franchise, 
they would have sent somebody to Trey Lance's pro day. The only time that Trey Lance is going to throw live before the draft. They can't have private workouts, and the 49ers didn't. So it just it just doesn't seem like, A, it's something that they have wanted to do in the past. Uh, they only lightly looked at quarterbacks back in 2017 as well, and they just don't seem to be motivated to do it now. It could surprise everybody. This could be just uh, the, the greatest uh, trick that they're playing, but it would be a surprise at this point. They're just not doing a lot of pre-work on any of these guys. So if they did take a quarterback, I think it would be somebody like Davis Mills or um, the, the the kid from Texas A&M. Um, that would be uh, basically a mid-round pick. You don't expect much from him his rookie year, but maybe he's somebody uh, to think about in 2022 and beyond. I'm done with the the Jimmy Garoppolo. Is he going to be here? Is he not going to be here with the quarterbacks? Or will the 49ers find another quarterback? Jimmy to to uh, back to New England. I think he's going to be a 49er. I, I just hope the cat stays healthy throughout the season because, again, I always go back. The year that he was healthy, the team – uh, they were competing for a championship in the Super Bowl. I think I think Kyle Shanahan believes in him. I think um, John Lynch believes in him. I think the guys on the team believe in him. I just I, I do, but I do see that quarterback room getting better, and I think it gets better in the draft. I think it's going to be a quarterback later in the draft, I, you know, fifth, sixth round, or something like that. It's not going to be a high pick. I I was thinking about this kid that's coming out of Alabama. You might have said his name already, Matt, but you know, somebody who can develop. Yeah, somebody you can develop. I just, I just think Jimmy Garoppolo is the guy, you know. And you know, fans are fans. And, and yes, he's been hurt three out of two out of the three seasons he's been here. Um, but I think he's a guy that this team believes in. I think that, as has been the case with so many 49ers personnel moves, past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior. And you know, we talk about defensive line over coverage, all this and all that. Well. Quarterback, I think Kyle Shanahan's plan all along, and I mean, he's now acknowledged this, was to draft a guy in the mid-rounds back in 2017. That was C.J. Beathard, who on Wednesday signed with Jacksonville. So Beathard's tenure with the 49ers is done. But but Beathard was never Shanahan's plan to be the, the go-to franchise quarterback. He wanted Kirk Cousins first. Jimmy Garoppolo essentially replaced Kirk Cousins. The 49ers gave Jimmy Garoppolo all that money. And now they're moving forward with Garoppolo. But Beathard's contract has expired. And nobody's pretending that Beathard worked out the way that Shanahan thought he would. I think the plan initially was for Beathard to develop from his third round position in the draft into somebody that the 49ers could either uh, turn to to become their starting quarterback or trade and and, and get something for. That didn't happen. Beathard uh, wasn't good enough for that. But I think that Kyle Shanahan might still apply the same formula. So I think you're absolutely right. I think both of you are probably right with this because what you said uh, generally agrees here. I think that the 49ers won't trade up for a quarterback. I think they will pick one. And we have to keep our eyes on Josh Rosen, who Shanahan might enjoy working with, who they decided to keep here for the 2021 season. So that's kind of how the quarterback factory works, right? You keep the room insulated. Shanahan, though, has not yet 
shown any inkling to wanting to draft somebody extremely high. He absolutely could have done that in 2017 and didn't. Instead, Beathard went in the third round, and that's obviously a draft that Shanahan and Lynch will probably forever be criticized for because, you know, there were there were guys in that draft that were very good. Let's just put it that way, that the 49ers passed on and they picked Solomon Thomas instead. But it's a formula that I think Shanahan still trusts. I think he still believes that he could find a guy and develop him. And most of all, I think he still believes that he has good football left in Jimmy Garoppolo. And we'll see if that happens. I know that's a very polarizing thing to say right now, but we'll finish on that note. If Jimmy Garoppolo can show up and stay healthy and play well for the 49ers, well, the past tells us that that's a good formula. 2019 says that's a good formula. Anyway, before the draft, we'll talk plenty more about all this stuff. For Matt Barrows and Dennis Brown, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you next time on the Here's the Catch podcast. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.